you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 17 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey everyone, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. And thank you so much for your prayers. I really, really appreciate it. Well, episode 17 is the third installment of my four-part series on genuine historic revivals, where I interview my podcasting partner, BDK, of Omega Frequency. And in part three, we discuss various hallmarks of true biblical revival. This is an awesome episode that you may want to listen to a few times to make sure you really soak up all that is discussed. Well, if you've been blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take some time to leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. And you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com, and there's a link to it on my website. Well, also, in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And you can find this book um, on Amazon, and there's a link to it on my website. And if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there. I got a review uh, this past week, and oh my goodness, it, it... it made me cry a bit. It was just so encouraging. It's it's from uh, someone named Fabio uh, Londano, and it says, I thank God for guiding you in writing this book, Phil. Just wow. There are no words to describe how impacting this book became and how it led me back to God in a more deeper way than before, especially during the last few pages. It literally broke those old wineskins and the hypocrisy I was living as what I believe now was double, I was a double-minded Christian. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing this book to minister to me. I mean, that was just, it floored me. And it was just so encouraging to me that they were glorifying God for the way that they had realized the Holy Spirit guiding me in this writing process and, um, not just saying nice things about me, but yeah, I mean, that just touched my heart so much. Well, um, finally, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And uh, you can contact BDK at OmegaFrequency.com, and you can send in questions for that Q&A show there. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at the 4th Watch Radio website or on the 4th Watch Radio podcast. And finally, the early Christian quotes that I generally use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and I've got a link for it in the show notes. And you can purchase your copy for $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. That's scrollpublishing.com. All right, well, let's jump into episode 
three, part three of Revival, Reclaiming Revival with BDK. So now let's uh, kind of turn to what are some general signs of true biblical revival. We've kind of been hinting at that along the way already, but I guess we'll dig in a little bit deeper now. So what are some signs, some general signs of true biblical revival? Well, biblical revival is always going to produce the reverent fear of God in his church. When they're revived, that fear is going to spread into the community. It's going to convict people rightly and drive them to the place where the people of God are being revived. Remember when we said did that ready with an answer episode where we were kicking around this notion that when God judged Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible said that the fear of God hit the church and not only the church, but there were many conversions that took place because this incident happened. And we were, we kind of went off script, man. And we were kind of kicking that around. Right. Yeah. And we were wondering about what that, that fear of God thing meant. Well, this is kind of what Duncan Campbell talks about in the Scottish revival. And um, you can listen to some of these sermons. Um, one of them, I believe, is called When Heaven Comes Down. And um, there's books written on this. And it's an amazing story because revival, because usually you think of revival happening when the evangelist shows up, right? And then the evangelist leads everybody in revival. And um, it's kind of that formulaic thing. That's not what happened here. Revival was already going on amongst this small group of core people. And they're like, we need to move this out now. We need to move this out into the realm of awakening. It's like all well and good now that we know that we're the reason that God's not visiting us and um, not saving the people out of the whorehouses and stuff. But like, let's get somebody in here who knows what they're doing to preach and to compel the sinners to come in. So they, uh, they, they call on Duncan Campbell and in Scotland, Duncan Campbell's a well-known evangelist, right? And he gets a letter from these people pleading for him to come down and hold evangelistic missions because there's revival in this church and they want to reach out into the community. And Duncan Campbell's like, well, dude, I'm kind of a popular Scottish evangelist and I don't have time to come down there. Um, I'm so packed that I can come down next year. And they're like, no, you need to come down now. And he's like, I can't come down now. I'm the keynote speaker at our big denominational conference. I can't turn them down. I'm booked. I have a room. I'm on the docket. And this is not only that, but like, this is a place I've always dreamed of preaching at. I've always dreamed of being like the main keynote speaker at our big denominational conference. So he sends that off to them. The next night, his daughter comes into his study, his little daughter, and just simply asks, Daddy? how come the Bible talks about revival and you preach about revival, but you've never truly seen the things that you preach about happen. Hmm. Good night, daddy kissed him on the cheek and left. Wow. That's what he says. And you hear him talking about this in that really Scottish accent. It's just crazy. He sounds like Scotty from Star Trek talking about that, right? Yeah. Hey daddy, got a question for you. Good night, daddy. Love you. Kiss on the cheek and goes. That's incredible. To say that Duncan is undone, dude, is beyond an understatement. <laughs> to say that he's not cut to the quick by that is, is an understatement. He spends night after night in that study in prayer and brokenness. And he gets to that conference. And on the night that he's about to speak, the fear of God comes over him and says, enough. Stop. Turn around. Leave now. 
don't care if you hairlip the devil, leave now, go to the Hebrides. But I'm about ready to speak. No, stop, go. So he does, he goes, he gets on a boat, gets to the church. There's a few saints in the church, but he looks around, he's like, you know, these saints, they're on fire, they're prayed up. There's only a small handful of them, but like, dude, these guys are fervently praying. He's like, this is amazing. And so he gets up and he's like, well, I'll do what I always do, I guess. I'll preach. And so he preaches one of his like pre-made, you know, pre-packaged sermons that he's, you know, that he's like pretty much, you know, famous for. He preaches on the foolish virgins. And when the meeting is done, it's the middle of the night. And Duncan is discouraged because nothing's happening, Bill. Hmm. The people start to leave. Duncan's about to leave. And he's like, why did I... I was the featured speaker. <laughs> and here I am in this, this island. I've been on a boat all day and all afternoon. I get here. Now it's the middle of the night. Everybody's going. I preached. Nothing happened. Man. Right? Man. What happens, dude? The elder stands in front of the door and says, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't stop. Stop. Don't leave. God is hovering over us. He's about to break through. What? What? He begins to pray. This elder begins to pray. He's like, God, you promised us you would break through. That if this dude would give, you would send this dude, that revival would happen. God, we've been for the last several, keep your promises, God. And the elder goes down on the ground and is in a state of deep communion with God. Now Duncan's looking around this empty church just him and this praying elder who's on the ground praying. And he's like, this is strange, dude. <laughs> All of a sudden the church door busts open and one of the church members goes, he's like freaking out. He's like, come outside, come outside quick. Duncan comes outside and it's midnight, mind you, dude. It's midnight. There are 600 people descending on the church. They're visibly shaking. They're weeping. They're wailing. Some have come from the dance halls. Some have come straight from the bars. Some have come straight from the whorehouses. Some have been woken up in the middle of the night with terrifying dreams of hell. Hmm. All lanterns. He was preaching about the foolish virgins and the oil, right? How ironic. This is all these lanterns coming up upon the church. They descend on this church. They pack out the church. Now, mind you, without any sort of advertising, without any sort of gimmicks, nobody knew this dude was coming. He was a famous evangelist, but nobody knew he was coming except this little person. They didn't advertise that this dude was going to be here. They didn't even know he was going to get there. He just got there, showed up in the middle of a prayer meeting. Like he got to there off this boat, didn't tell him he was coming and said, um, where's this church at? And they gave him directions and he goes there. Right? Like, totally God's complete move, sovereignly. It's filled beyond capacity. They're not leaving. No one can move. No one can find a spot to sit down. Duncan tries to go back in. He can't get back in, Phil. Mm. He sees a mom standing in front of him. Now, this mom was part of that original service. She was one of those godly saints that has been there praying for these several months. And the one thing she was praying was for her son to come to Christ. Guess who's with that mom? Hmm. That son. She's kind of holding the son who's sobbing to the point where he's shivering. He's screaming, mom, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. Please help me. 
you work that up, dude? Hmm. Is that a five-minute song service, a 15-minute song service to get people emotionally titillated? You send out a mailer for that? You know, that it's kind of like the antithesis of those passages in Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus was like rebuking the church and the church. We were talking about how the church doesn't see themselves as God sees them, you know, like they're deceived. But that elder could see God the way the preacher couldn't, you know. Yep. And it's just so, man, that's so, it's so encouraging. That story is, this story is. You it know. gets even crazier, dude. So he ta- he stops and he talks to the son and the son repents. Hmm. Now this mother and son are reconciled. And he's like, well, I should probably do the preachery thing and try to get to the pulpit and preach to these guys. After all, that's why I'm here, right? To preach to the congregation, these people that cause this awakening. But he can't get to the pulpit because there's too many people there. And when he finally gets to the pulpit, like he has to step over a woman who was a known prostitute. Hmm. One of the one of the scarlet ladies of the city, right? Like one of the well-known ones, the ones that you shake your finger at and, and you know, you cross the street on the other side. She came straight from the whorehouse. She's laying on the ground in front of the pulpit, weeping in horror. And all she's saying over and over again is, please help me. Is there any hope left for me? Who told her to do that? Duncan says that what happened was the fear of God came tangibly down upon that town. It was all of God, the saints of God, and none of him. God literally rent the heavens, came down to show the people that the arm of the Lord is still mighty to save. Or take the Welsh revival. This is even more amazing. So Evan Roberts, he works in a coal mine and he only has one prized possession. It's his Bible. He carries it with him everywhere he goes. He's always reading it on the sly every chance that he gets. It's burnt around the edges because it's almost blown up in a mine fire. Like he almost severely was injured to the point of being maimed because instead of running for his life, he stopped to save the Bible. But this is a dude who leaves the coal mine, then goes to school to become a minister Because in his time of prayer and study, he gets so worked up with like these sermons that are coming to him from reading and praying that he just starts preaching passionately to himself in these empty rooms and he's shouting and he's getting all passionate and he almost gets evicted because his landlady thinks he's making too much of a ruckus preaching to himself. So this is like a dude who most people would be like, this is a solid holiness guy. This is a solid on fire Christian, right? Hmm. I don't know many Christians like that. But this dude is at a prayer meeting where they're praying for God to visit Wales, right? And we talked about this, uh, you know, the POWs and stuff like that. Right. And he's there and he's like broken by this, this, this experience that he's having. And he just simply plays, Lord, bend us or bend the church. Meaning bend the church in prayer. Break us, bring revival to us. But the minute he prays for the church, the holy fear of God comes on him. And he's like, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm unclean. I'm not on fire enough. I'm not holy enough. Bend me. Break me. Like if that dude had room to repent in his life, God help the rest of us, dude. Hmm. Then Robert leaves the seminary because he feels that God's going to visit Wales. God tells him to go and hold a week-long meeting for the youth in his home church. 
And the minister says, well, we have a service going on here tonight. It's Monday night. But when we're done, I'll let you use the church for a meeting if anyone wants to stick around. So on a Monday night, only 17 people stick around to hear him. And four of those people are his brothers and his sisters, right? But this is the dude who preaches to himself. So it doesn't matter how many people that's there. He preaches as if that place is packed. And this is what he starts off by saying, Phil. If there are any who are unwilling to submit to the Holy Spirit, get up and leave this meeting. Now, in the modern church, that's not the way you do things, dude. First of all, you pick a prime night, you advertise this thing, and then you invite the people in all covert, all seeker-sensitive-like. You sure as heck don't get up. And if 17 people show up, you don't insult them by saying, hey, man, if anyone here is unwilling to submit to the Holy Ghost, get up and leave. And that's what he says. And for almost three hours, he leads the group in worship and prayer. He's calling on God to break down any hardness of heart that might hinder revival. Now, during the meeting, everyone experiences the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. They begin to confess their sins. They begin to call on God for mercy. They magnify God and praise. That's because the presence of God showed up. I mean, it's a Monday night after the main service. It's been a long night. Only 17 people have the guts to stay. And then he gets up tells them to leave if they're not down with uh, submitting to the Holy Spirit. He goes anti-seeker-sensitive church on them. Like, the, it, it would almost seem like the dude is setting himself up on purpose to fail. And he would have failed. But God showed up on that Monday. And by Wednesday, without any advertisement, without any hype, the place was now full. And by Friday, the place was so overflowing with people that they gathered around outside of the church and opened up all the windows and the doors just so that they could hang out and maybe catch what was going on or hear the sermon or hear the prayers that were being offered in the church. These services themselves were without hype, show, or formula. Evan would just watch what the Spirit was doing, and the congregation, for the most part, was leading themselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is what a typical meeting would look like. Someone would lead prayer, and another person would get up and testify. There wasn't a formula. This just happened spontaneously now. Then another person would start singing a hymn. There were no musical instruments. This was all a cappella. They were soul singing. They would just sing. Then there'd be more praying. Then someone would stop and confess their sins and repent. And then someone would turn their life over to Christ, right? And these conversions would happen spontaneously, Like someone would get up and be like, have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. And they would call for repentance or other times Evan Roberts would be sitting up on that um, platform and he would see that the Holy spirit was moving on somebody's heart and he would just walk over to them while everybody else was praying and singing. And he would just take his open Bible with them and he would just exhort them to surrender to Christ. And all this was done decently and in order, Phil. It wasn't like a bomb went off. It wasn't like anybody was freaking out doing anything crazy. Like this was a spontaneous leading of the Holy Spirit without any agenda, without any plan, without anything. Sometimes Robert would preach a short sermon. Sometimes he would preach two short sermons. Sometimes he would preach three short sermons because these things would start at sundown, right? And they would go to like four o'clock in the morning. And then after the meeting officially let out at four o'clock in the morning, people were still hanging out in church, praying still, singing, confessing sins, or they'd be hanging out and congregating outside, or they'd be like, it's four o'clock in the morning. People are waking up. Let's go into the town and start preaching the gospel in the market. Now, these, these messages that Robert would preach, these short sermons, could be summarized in four principles. This was the hallmark of revival preaching. 
And we could do a whole nother show on what modern revival preaching is, but this was historical revival preaching. First, Robert insisted Christians must put away any unconfessed sin in their lives. Put it away. Give no, no, no place to the devil. Second, he called on them to renounce any doubtful habit. I mean, think about that. If you have any doubt about it at all, get rid of it. Today in the modern church, dude, we try to figure out how we can skirt that. Get to the closest possible point of sinning without offending God. He's like, if you have any doubt in the back of your mind, get rid of it. Third, he told them you must obey the Holy Spirit promptly. And finally, he urged people to confess Christ publicly. So these people, man, they got all revived. They went out, they spread the gospel to all their neighbors. They would hang out in front of bars and hold prayer meetings. They would hang out in front of whorehouses and open air preach. They would evangelize the coal mines. Amazing, crazy things happened in this revival and in this awakening, right? And if you want to read some of these amazing accounts, because we don't have time tonight to go into all of them, this is the one book I recommend everybody check out. It's called The Great Revival in Wales by S.B. Shaw. The Great Revival in Wales by S.B. Shaw. Get it on Amazon. Super cheap. What's awesome about this book is it's a compilation of reprinted articles from newspaper articles, church newsletters, church bulletins, church magazines that were published during the time of the revival. So it was all firsthand eyewitness accounts, right? Of what was going on. So if you read this, you can find out like what revival looked like, what was going on in the church, what the evangelistic outreaches looked like, all through firsthand accounts. I'm going to give you one short one. And this shows the effect of revival, this natural, spontaneous revival. J. Edwin Orr wrote this report in the Flaming Tongue Evangelical Publication. He wrote, he's reporting on this. He wrote, drunkenness is immediately cut in half. Many of the taverns went bankrupt. Crime was so diminished that judges were presented with white gloves, signifying that no cases of murder, assault, rape, or robbery were happening. The police became unemployed in many districts. Stoppages occurred in the coal mines, not due to unpleasantness between management and workers, but because so many of the foul-mouthed miners became converted, they stopped using foul language, and that the horses and the mules that hold the coal trucks in the mine couldn't understand what was being said to them. This revival spread from Wales to Britain, to Azusa, to Los Angeles, to Africa, to Korea, Phil. I mean, think about that. That's crazy, dude. Like, basically, these were prayers that came from people who were in solitary confinement and prisoner of war camps, inspired a dude to do this. God mightily used them and, and radically rocked Wales. I mean, think about that. Why were the mines shutting down? Because the foul-mouthed miners who were so used to cursing at the donkeys weren't cursing anymore. And so the donkeys didn't know what to do. They couldn't take direction. They had to bring in all new donkeys and mules. Like the police were unemployed. Now, did anyone have to vote that in? Did the religious right have to come in and make, make a grandstand? Did they have to do this, that, or the other thing? Like, did they have to legislate it? Did they have to take the seven mountains of, of dominion? None of this, dude. None of it. And yet this amazing thing happened. Why? Because when sinners encounter a holy God, the fear of God spurs them on to be holy or it spurs them on to be hardened in their heart. One of two things happens. And it's crazy, dude, because you don't have to work that up, dude. It happens. 
and, and, and the society was better because of it. God was literally healing the land because sinners don't want to sin if they truly get saved. Gravity, the truth tugs down at your knees, he's here. Just a whisper echoes deep in our souls. Come taste and see the bread and wine of the King of Kings, he's here. True communion with the Lamb on his throne. You are my valuable pearl I'd lose everything to gain you're not some trend you're that valuable pearl you call us to walk in your ways feel the head his presence is here holy waves are breaking over our souls come taste and see and drink deep of his majesty and sing hallelujah with the saints round his throne you are my end you're that valuable pearl I'd lose everything to gain You're not some trend You're that valuable pearl You call us to walk in your ways Let every creature sing to the one on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be blessing and honor, glory and power forever and ever. Trend, you're that valuable.